As Christians, we know that Jesus is good news, and we want to share his love with others. In the past, we'd simply invite a friend to church and let the sermon do the work. However, times are changing, and we're learning that church invitations might not be enough anymore. Today, Jesus is using his people to invite others into their homes and ultimately their lives. And by others, we mean seekers, saints, and sinners, all of the people who make up the body of Christ. Parishioners, I thought of a new word this morning, and it's inevitable. It's going to be, become official at some point, and I just wanted to, this is the first time that it started here. But we have podrishioners instead of parishioners, okay, people who podcast. So what do you call a congregation that, that podcasts? Well, it would be a podgregation. Because we're not congregating, right? We're not coming together. We're, 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 we're coming together, but on podcast. So pod, pod, now got congregation, podgregation. There you go. Everyone say it. Podgregation. So hello, congregation, and hello, congregation. Hallelujah. I tell you. Okay, I, just want, I want credit when that comes out. So, so now we know that Rob, um, he's admitted that he forgets everything I talk about uh, when I'm preaching here, and he uses a crystal ball. How he, what kind of pastor is this? We do not condone the use of crystal balls, Rob. Um, and I hope you're all enjoying your, your uh, this coming to the end of summer. It's... Uh, Try not to think about what's coming in the future. Just put that out of your mind, January, and try to enjoy these last days of summer. Um, I don't know if any of you have fall allergies, uh, but uh, if you do, that, you know that last couple days at least, for me, it's kind of hindering a little bit the enjoyment of the last days of summer. You know, I, 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 I don't know. I'd, I'd be interested in finding this out, but, but I, I, I had COVID uh, you know, last, last year, and I keep on discovering new things about me, and it seemed to be the result of that. And one of them seems to be an intensified reaction to allergies. Because I always have a little bit of allergies in the fall. But um, this, this last week, man, it's been coming on me. And the main symptom is that my, my eyes get all puffy and scratchy. Can you tell they're all puffy and scratchy? And you can't tell they're scratchy, but they're puffy. I, 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 okay, I... I, 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 I I feel like my eyes look like Joe Biden's eyes. You know, he's, he's, he's always squinting. He's a good-looking guy. Okay, he's a good-looking guy. Uh, they, they, they fit him well. But, but it always seems like he's squinting to read the, you know, the, the, the teleprompter there. He, but he's like that even when he's not on the teleprompter. He, just, he has these kind of like, I, that's how I feel. So there, you needed to know that, didn't you? Um, the other thing, and this is kind of why I wanted to warn you, is that, that I sometimes go have these sneeze attacks. And we have those sneeze attacks for it. This last week, one point, I, and they're always worse in the morning, but I started sneezing, and, and it went on for about a minute. And you can't control it. There's nothing you can do about it. You just got to sneeze it out. And I thought to myself, what if that ever happened in the middle of a sermon? <laughs> so if that happens, you know, just sort of uh, go and check your phones a little bit. Just let me go for a, for a minute, and I, it'll, it'll get out of there. But uh, they prayed for me before the, the service, and I'm claiming that, and I'm applying it to myself. So hallelujah, I'm in the protection zone. Glory. So we're in this series, uh, Sinners, Seekers, and Saints. And um, we're just kind of looking at the new reality of where the church is at. And the new, you know, this is the dynamics. Things have changed. And uh, we're looking at this as, as uh, how can God use this to the, for a kingdom advantage? And one thing that, that, that has happened as the, the attractional church has been knocked, it kind of brought down a couple of notches. It's just not as attractional as it used to be. But that presents an opportunity if we will step into this. 
for the church maybe to be empowered, the church, which is all of us together, congregation and congregation, for the church to begin to step into our calling as ambassadors, that we are the church, we are the body of Christ. Uh, this is the time for, for looking at how we can bring the kingdom to every social network that we're in. So last week we looked at the family, and it was such a, a joy and a whole lot of fun to have Bill Doherty here. Uh, we had a blast. Probably had a little too much fun, actually. But uh, uh, we talked about the importance of rituals in families. Uh, if you didn't hear that message, I encourage you to, to check it out. It's, it's, a, it's an important one. Um, and we'll be saying more about that as we head into the future. Uh, for today, I wanted to look at Acts 17. I'm, I'm entitling this Partnering with God, because that's what the church is all about. We're called to work, join God and what God's doing in this world. Uh, and I want to read from the book of Acts, chapter 17, uh, verses 6 and 22 through 28. Paul had uh, already talked to these guys, these Athenians, they're kind of philosophical types, and they're going to have a meeting at the uh, Ergopagus, which was this uh, kind of a stadium thing where they held debates and stuff. And so here's what it says. Well, while Paul was waiting for these guys to show up in Athens, he was deeply distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So then you go down to verse 22, and now Paul's just beginning his talk with these, these uh, gentlemen. And he says, then Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this is what I want to proclaim to you. And just pause there for a moment. I'll pick up the passage uh, in, in a second here. But I just want to note something about Paul's evangelistic style here. Um, Paul is a monotheistic Jew. And to first century monotheistic Jews, uh, idols were like the number one sin. Uh, Jews were offended by a lot of the behavior of the Gentiles, their drunkenness, debauchery, the origins, they, they, they repulsed by all that, but no more so than their revulsion towards idolatry. So Paul, in seeing all these idols, would have been grossed out. But note how Paul responds to this. He, um, he doesn't assume a, p- a position of moral superiority uh, and talk down on them. He doesn't go out of tirade against the grotesqueness and the sinfulness of idolatry. He doesn't try to guilt these people out or shame them in any way. In fact, to the contrary, Paul compliments them. He compliments them. He says, as I looked around at at your objects of worship. Now what Paul's thinking is, your grotesque grotesque idols. But what he says is your objects of worship. Because that's what they are to these people. And, and, and then he says, I see that you're extremely religious in every way. So Paul takes his own convictions about idolatry, his own revulsion about idolatry, and he sets it aside. And having done that, now he, he can see and he affirms the motive behind it. Uh, you guys are trying. You're religious in every way. You're doing all you can to reach out to God. He compliments them. And then he, he, he finds a point of agreement. There's a, a lot of things he could disagree with here. All those idols, he could have railed against any one of them. But instead, he finds the one that presents an opening for discussion. And he says, so the, you, this idol to the unknown God. Um, now, the, the, the Athenians who had that, they're probably just covering their butts. It's like, okay, we, we don't know all the gods that are out there, so we better have to the unknown God in case we're missing one because we don't want to tick off any of the gods. 
But Paul sees it as a confession of humility. Oh, so you acknowledge that there's something you don't know. You, you acknowledge that there's an unknownness out there. Well, that unknown God, that, I, I, I'd like to talk to you about that one. He finds an opening to say, instead of coming against all the negative, he finds something positive that he can affirm and he can build on. So here's the situation, folks. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm here, a teacher talking to ambassadors around the globe. We are all, if you're a Jesus follower, called to be an ambassador of Christ. Which means we're called to represent the character of our king. And we're called to live in a way where we can invite people to meet our king. And enter into a relation with our king. Uh, it's, it's what we're all called to do. And so here's lesson number one, ambassadors. Uh, when you're dialoguing with non-believers... I implore you to put all your personal stuff, your personal convictions, the feelings that you have, the opinions that you have, the judgments that you have, and put them all aside like Paul did. Instead of going against whatever you disagree with or whatever upsets you or you don't like, instead of going after that, set that aside and be looking for where God is at work, where there's something positive, where there's, there's an opening there, something you can affirm, something you can agree with. Because the truth is, you got no business judging people anyways, right? We're supposed to be doing this with everybody. We've got no business judging anybody or looking down on anyone, assuming a mere moral superiority over anybody. And who gives a rip about what your opinions are about anything anyways? The only thing that matters is when we're talking with people is that, that, that we are agreeing with God that they were with Jesus dying for, which means we're agreeing with God that they have unsurpassable worth, which means we're agreeing with God that we're going to love these people and do everything we can to bless them and enter into a relationship with them. And that's exactly what will not happen if the first thing out of the gate is you're disagreeing with them. No, you've got to build a bridge and get into, in the inside of their world and see what God is already doing. Uh, see, I just, it's, it's lesson number one. I won't charge you any extra for that, but remember it. Rob, remember that one, all right? All right. Let's go back to the passage. So here's what Paul says. The God who made the world and everything in it, he was the Lord of heaven and earth. He doesn't live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. And Paul's referring there to being served in the shrines. He doesn't need your sacrifices and all those other things that you do in the shrines. He doesn't need that since he himself gives to all mortal life and breath and all things. From one ancestor, he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth. And he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live. So that, listen to this, so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for him and possibly find him. Though indeed he's not far from any one of us. For in him, Paul says, we live and move and have our being as even some of your own poets have said. For we too are his offspring. Powerful passage. So what Paul's saying here is this. From the very beginning, God has been working in the nations, the rising and the falling of, of, of kingdoms. Um, as, as kings go to war with one another and all that, God's been putting parameters around that, and he's, he's providentially orchestrating things. And whatever motives the kings might have for trying to topple another nation and all that, whatever's going on there, God's motive in his providential working with all the nations of the world, his motive is to get people to hunger for him, to search for him, to yearn for him, to grow for him, and possibly even find him, Though that would look different probably from culture to culture to culture. And it would depend on, on insofar as the culture and, and, and the other circumstances around it make it possible. But that's what God's always up to in this world. And then to prove his point, he quotes two pagan philosophers. When Paul says, in him we live and move and have our being. And, and, and we too are his offspring. He's quoting pagan poets and pagan philosophers there. Um, and, and so what he's doing there is he's illustrating his point. Uh, that, that God is at work everywhere in every human heart. Even in these pagan philosophers. 
And so, so it, it's, it, he's affirming this truth that, that, that shows up here, um, that God's at work at all times and all places to bring people into a, a, as much as possible a relationship with him. Now, if you study pagan philosophy and you study world religions and all that, you'll find a whole lot to disagree with, a whole lot that's wrong, and a whole lot that's erroneous, and even stuff that's sinful. But you'll also usually find, if you're looking for it, some truth. Uh, truths that, that line up with, with, with who God is, as, you, as, as is revealed in Jesus Christ, and what God wants in our life. And uh, um, he's always at work in doing that. So, so he, he, he quotes these, these philosophers saying, kind of illustrating that God's at work in all places, even in your own, your, your own philosophers. And it's interesting that Paul, when he's speaking to the pagans, he doesn't quote his own Bible. You know, he quotes the Bible when he's talking to Jews, because Jews acknowledge the authority of the Bible. But when he's talking to pagans, he doesn't quote his Bible because they don't, what does that mean to them? That's not their authority. Instead, he quotes their authorities, people they look up to. Some, they regard these folks as divinely inspired, like Homer. And he appeals to them. He finds truth in their sources of authority because that's what has meaning to these folks. That will impact them. Quoting your own source of authority, you see, by affirming that, you're showing respect not only for them, but respect for their authorities. You're honoring that. And that's a bridge you're building to them. But if you come out of the gate quoting your own authority, what does that mean to them? Who cares what, what your Bible says unless you already respect the Bible? It's like um, several years ago, I went to the Winter Carnival, and, and they had this downhill, this ridiculous sport where you skate as fast as possible downhill. It goes from the, the, the cathedral down. I just had to see what this looks like. And what it looks like is very dangerous. Uh, <laughs> But uh, there's a guy there on one of the corners, and, and God bless him. I know he, he means well. He's doing the best he can do. He believes this is right. But he's just quoting the Bible. And he's holding up some, you know, John 3.16 stuff like that. And, and he's quoting the Bible mainly about how sinful everybody is. And, and you got to repent now and blah, 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 blah. And I observed him for a little while. And, and there's one girl who stopped and listened to him for a little bit, kind of nodded, and then walked away. But everyone else just ignored the guy. And some were kind of embarrassed, frankly. Now, God bless the guy, but so far as I can see, nothing of kingdom value comes from that. In fact, so far as I can see, that kind of way of going about things, at least it, it, maybe there's a time where that worked because there's enough agreement with the broader culture where you could, people were interested in that, but that time has passed. And so far as I can see, this is just giving people one more reason why they shouldn't pay any attention to the Bible or to Christians. No, see, according to your own authority, just doesn't, the Bible says, no, fight when we, when, when in dialogue with, with a non-believer, uh, be asking the question, uh, how does God show up in their life? What, what are the things they look up to and that minister to them? It's okay to give your testimony about how God shows up in your life, but you can't quote your authority or think that that's how God's going to show up in their life. Uh, ask the question, what music ministers to them? Uh, what, what books, what, what, what movies, what, what, what performances, what art uh, really ministers to them? Whether they identify that as God or not, you know who God is, you know what God is like, so be looking for him. And, and whatever's ministering life and, and, and wholeness and goodness and, and improving their life, that's something to build on. That's a God thing. Either that or it's pure deception. But uh, uh, unless you have reason to think otherwise, that's a God thing. And, and, and that's what you want to be appealed to. Start a discussion about that song or that movie or, or whatever source that they look up to. Affirm what you can affirm in that. So remember, God's always at work everywhere, getting the people to hunger for him. You can assume that with every person you talk to. Now, people can suppress that for sure. But you know that God's at work pulling people in that direction. And, um, and our job is to join what God is doing. He's at work everywhere. 
I think a lot of Christians think that, that because we know who God is in Jesus Christ, and because we've got a divinely inspired Bible that is designed to pull us into a relationship with Jesus Christ, they think that because of that, we have a corner on the truth. We have the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And so then you assume the superior position that you're always the teacher and they're always supposed to be the student. But you know what, folks? Being a Jesus follower does not mean you have a corner on the truth. Because you don't have a corner on God and God is working everywhere, pulling people in the direction of truth. And that's why you can find truth all over the place. When Jesus Christ is your standard of what truth is, about who God is and who we are, you can see God showing up all over the place. Now see, here's the thing. Our Bible doesn't tell us a story about how God is at work in all the nations of the world. It tells us a very, it's, it's, a, it's a mustard seed story, because God always works as a mustard seed, starting very small. And so he starts with Abraham. It's a story about all the descendants of Abraham and how God used them and, 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 and tried to get them to be ministers and servants of the whole world, and how he laid the, the groundwork for the coming of the Messiah. And it's a story about how when the Messiah comes, he inaugurates this radical, beautiful, upside-down kingdom. It's a beautiful story. It's the most important story that's being told on the planet, but it's not the only story. In fact, there's Millions of stories that could be told about God working in millions of different ways, maybe even trillions, uh, uh, as, as he's working through the times and the seasons and the boundaries and the rising and the fallings of all the different nations, getting people to hunger and grow for him. So the Bible, just remember this, that it doesn't give us an exhaustive account of what, what God's doing in the world. It gives us an account of this one storyline that is a saving storyline, but remember it's only one storyline. Once in a while, though, you get little, little uh, reminders that God is the Lord of the whole earth and he loves every person on the planet. He's working every human heart. You get little reminders, Acts 17 being one of them. Uh, another one is, is Amos 9. Look at this passage. It's just remarkable. Here's what the Lord says to uh, his people, Israel. He says, are you not like the Ethiopians to me? O people of Israel, says the Lord. Did I not bring Israel up from the land of Egypt? yes. And the Philistines from Cathtor, and the Arameans from Kerr. Think about this. We're saying there's Israelites, they got all haughty and they morally superior and they started judging the people that they're supposed to be serving. serving. And so God says, do you think that, that I think of the Ethiopians any differently than I think about you? I, I, no, you're human. I love you equally. You're, you're, they're just saying, I called Israel for, us for a unique mission. But my love for, for, for people is the same everywhere. And then he says, yes, I, I, I delivered you from Egypt. And, and you celebrate that. That's like the foundational act of Israel, being liberated from, from Egypt. But don't, he says, I also delivered the Philistines from Kaftor and the Arameans from Kerr. Now, you don't read about that in the Bible. You read about being freed from Egypt in the Bible, but you don't read about what happened to the Philistines. And that's not part of that, because it's not part of that one storyline, except for that one verse here. We get a little hint that God's working there. But God was working. And unlike the Jews, the Philistines, I'm sure, didn't know that Yahweh was liberating them from the oppression of, of uh, Kaftor. And the Armenians didn't know that they were being liberated from the oppression of Kerr, but God was involved in that. And some maybe won't want to hear that, but here's what's really interesting about this, is that uh, throughout the Old Testament, the Philistines and the Arameans are Israel's arch enemies. So what it tells us is that and you may not want to hear this, I hope you do, but, but we got to know that whoever you would identify as your worst enemy, it will do your soul good to, to remind yourself of this and exercise this from now and then, every now and then, that, that God loves them as much as God loves you, regardless of what they do. And God is at work in their heart as much as possible, just like God's at work in your heart as much as possible. He's not a parochial God. And, and, and so what this tells us 
is that wherever, when we're looking at history and what's going on in the world, wherever you see, wherever you see people being set free from bondage, God is present there. That's not, knowing who God is, we should be able to identify God on different sides of the kind of polarities and the movements of, of, of world history. Wherever you see justice confronting injustice, God is there. Wherever you see love overcoming hatred, God is there. God's there. That's a, that's a, that, that reflects the character of God. So, you know, God is present, pushing in that direction. He doesn't coerce anybody. He always works by means of influence, and people are free to suppress that. But we can see where God is at work. Wherever you see marginalized people being included and being regarded more equally, well, that, that's, that God is at work in that. That's the kind of thing that God does. Wherever you see truth replacing error, wherever you see people dialoguing rather than shooting at one another, God is there. And wherever you see people beginning to move in a Christ-like direction or having a conception of God that gets more Christ-like, well, that's the Holy Spirit. Luring people in that direction because God's always working to get people to hunger for him and search for him and grow for him and possibly find him in so far as that is possible given where they're at. And our job, folks, as ambassadors, as the body of Christ, is to observe what God is doing and, and discern how God wants us to weigh in on that, to partner with God, to further that process. Have your eyes open for where God's moving. That's why Paul calls us God's co-workers several times. One of them being uh, 1 Corinthians 6. He says, as God's co-workers, uses the word synergale, we urge you to not receive God's grace in vain. This word synergale, um, it, it comes from the combination of the prefix syn, S-Y-N, which means alongside of or, to, or, 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 or together with, a synonymous, for example. And then the word ergos, it's, it's the word we, we, we get uh, uh, energy from. I mean, it's, it's the word that means energy. We don't get energy from that word. It means energy. Okay, sorry about that. Uh, ergos, or energy or work. And so what he's saying is that we have an ergos. We have, we have a time and a certain talents and, and say-so and, and, and things like that that we bring to the table. And our job is to bring our ergos alongside of God's ergos so that God's will will now be done on earth as it is in heaven. That, that's, the, that's the whole program. And see, by God's own design, now hear this. This feels really important. By God's own design, God needs us to play that role. God needs our ergos to come alongside his ergos to see his will done on earth as it is in heaven. And the reason is because we are the body of Christ, and Christ is the head. But we are the only body that Christ has right now. We are his hands, we are his feet. God's at work everywhere, but in terms of building his kingdom specifically, we're, like I said last week, the front, we are the front lines. And God needs us to join him in doing that. Ask this question. How much of your will would be done on earth as it is in your head if your body was a, would, would, would cooperate with you? Think about that. And the answer is not much. Uh, if your body's not cooperating, you're not getting anything done. Uh, if your body's not cooperating, you can't even talk. You, can't, you ever try to walk when your feet have fallen asleep? It's, it's, it's embarrassing. No, you're not, if, if your legs aren't cooperating, you're not going anywhere. Well, folks, that is... God, that, that, that's how God needs us, his body, to be in line with him, to be cooperating with him, be, be partnering with him, to get his will done on earth as it is in heaven. By God's own sovereign design, he doesn't want to do everything. No, he, he wants to partner. He's always a relational God. He empowers us to join him in the, the task of bringing his kingdom on this earth. And it, it, maybe that strikes you as like, whoa, it seems like heavy responsibility. Especially if you're one of those who always was like, God does everything and that relieves you of any responsibility. Que sera, sera. Whatever's going to happen, that's God's will. If you've always thought like this, and this can really feel awesome that you have this, this responsibility. And it's true, you do have this responsibility. But see, 
Folks, that's what gives our life meaning. That's what gives it significance. It gives us purpose. Our lives get to count. Our lives matter. They make a difference. There, things hang in the balance on what we choose to do. God has given each of us this ergos. I sometimes put it like this. We, we have a say-so. We, we, through our choices, we make a difference in this world. We have a say in what comes to pass. Genuinely. And, and um, our job is to bring our say-so under God's say-so so that now his will is being done on earth as it is in heaven. Our job is to, things really hang in the balance. There are people thinking, there are people who could be impacted for Christ who won't be impacted if we don't align our will with his. There are people who uh, wouldn't feel love, but who will feel love if we align our will with his, if we align our ergos with his. Uh, there there are, are things that will be done that otherwise wouldn't be done. But if we fail to bring our ergos alongside of his, our energy, our time, our talent submitted to him, uh, then, then things won't be done that ought to have been done. Things genuinely hang in the balance. Our job is to be looking for where God is at work in every social context we're in and to be seeking the spirit as to how we should join him, which leads me to this one last point before I want to introduce you to a friend of mine. Uh, to partner with, with, with God and what God's doing in this world, it means we've got to follow the spirit of God. Got to walk in step with the Holy Spirit. A big emphasis put on this in the New Testament. Staying in step with the Spirit, walking in the Spirit. If, if we're the body of Christ, each one of us, we, we're, we're, we're part of the body of Christ. If that's true, and it is, and Christ is the head, then you can think of the Holy Spirit as the nervous system that connects the head to the body. Uh, he is, as one author called him, the go-between God. Uh, he, Christ intercedes between us and the Father, but the Holy Spirit is the go-between between us and Christ. And so listening to the Spirit is absolutely imperative. Uh, listen to this passage from Paul. It's in, in 1 Corinthians 2. He says, The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. The Spirit searches. And that's one way that, you know, the, the Spirit is personal. Some people think of the Spirit as an it, not a who. But uh, it's don't search. Who's search? So the Spirit is the who, who searches. And what he searches is the deep things of God. And then Paul says this, Who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And then he says, who has known the mind of the Lord so, that, so as to instruct him? And the answer is, it's a rhetorical question. No one, no one knows that. He says, but we have the mind of Christ. So note here, uh, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So if you want to know the thoughts of God, which include the plans of God and what God's up to and what God's plans are for you, what, what is God thinking right now? If you want to know that, you've got to be tapped into the Holy Spirit. And that's why he says that if we have the Holy Spirit, we have the mind of Christ. Because if we have the Holy Spirit, we have access to the mind of Christ. If we're listening and if we're seeking to, to stay in step with the Spirit. So it brings me to this. It, 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 what that means, it, and I feel this more strongly than I ever had before, that you know, the job of teachers and pastors and apostles and prophets is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, Ephesians 4. Uh, note who does the ministry. It's to equip the saints for the work of ministry, the church for the work of ministry. It strikes me now at this juncture in history when so much is up in the air and there's so much unrest. The foundations are being shaken. We're in a Kairos moment here. It's a really unique time in history. So many things converging right now and it's causing a lot of misery and stress. But, but, but one advantage is that the less, we're, the, the less things are predictable, the less we can control them. And the less we can control them, the, the, more, the more easier it is to depend on the Holy Spirit, which is what we should have been doing all along anyway. Somebody say amen. Amen. Staying in step with the Spirit. In this season, it seems like the most important thing that pastors and apostles can do to equip the saints for the work of ministry is to empower them to hear the Spirit and to listen to the Spirit and, and, and to contextualize the kingdom and how to bring the kingdom into whatever situation they're in. It, it's very much like the, the early church, the, the first Christians. You know, when the, the Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost, um, 
No one had a manual about how you're supposed to build a church. Here's the four steps we can do to do this. And here's, how, here's the plan that everyone's going to do so we can all get the kingdom done. It was all, they, they, were, they were shooting from the hip, but they were following the Spirit. So they just start meeting each other's households because the Spirit led them to do that. And they go out and share Christ in the marketplace or in Solomon's porch because the Spirit of God led them to do that. And sometimes we read that they, they planned on going to a certain city, but the Holy Spirit said, no, I want you to go this way instead. So they allowed the Spirit to disrupt their plans, to inconvenience them. That's how the early church was. And that, folks, I think is the kind of situation we're in right now. Uh, we're going to have to flex. A, uh, for some of us, it's going to be a brand new muscle. And the muscle is, is, is knowing how to hear the Spirit and listen to the Spirit and step into what the Spirit's doing as the Spirit reveals to us what God is doing all around us. And we get to join. So I thought one of the best things to do here is Instead of trying to roll out a plan that's going to apply to everybody, which we don't have, we've got all sorts of things that we can support people with and, and, and educate people with and all that. But, but in terms of how this is going to apply to you, that's something that you're going to have to find through talking to the Holy Spirit. And, and, and so I thought one of the best ways for me to do this is to uh, look at some illustrations of, of, of what does it look like when people really start to walk in step with the Spirit. Just to, the, the kinds of things that get produced. Uh, the Spirit is so creative, and we find that when people are, are in step with Him, sometimes they, 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 they come upon a church that doesn't look anything like church. They are the church, but it's a unique, fresh way of looking at it. So to this end, I want to uh, introduce you to my friend Chris Beckert. Uh, I've known Chris for, for, oh, it must be 10 years now, and she's just a wonderful human being, got so much integrity. She's so smart. Uh, she was going to be a marine biologist, and then God called her into ministry. Uh, she's now the senior pastor at Table Life Church which is just outside Harrisburg, and she's a, a mission strategist and a trainer for this organization called Fresh Expressions. And what this whole the organization is about is, is, is teaching people how to hear the Spirit uh, and to join what God's doing in their, in their context, and what always results is a fresh expression of what it means to be church. And so uh, uh, I'd like to turn this for the next 15 minutes over to my friend, Chris. Uh, she's not here live, sorry, just want you, but we, we do have her via video, which is the next best thing. So take it away, Chris. Hey Woodland Hills, greetings from Central Pennsylvania. It's so great to be with you today and a special hello to all our podrishners who are joining us from everywhere. So Greg has given me the task of stirring up some holy imagination today, especially as we talk about this time in the life of the church and in the culture that we find ourselves in. And as Greg shared, this is not to make your church experience easier or less strings attached, but it's really an opportunity for us to be on mission. This time we find ourselves in is an opportunity to create church as never before. It's an opportunity to connect with spiritually curious people, our friends, our neighbors, our community. And this is really near and dear to me, not just because I do this as part of my calling as a pastor, as well as a, a leader, a trainer with Fresh Expressions U.S., but because I was one of them, I, I had a church background, but I stopped attending because basically it made no difference in my life. Maybe you've been there before. Maybe you are there now. And I tried a bunch of places, but I felt like an outsider. That's about 15 years ago, and I was working at a marine science lab in university. And I remember going to the grocery store one day, it was around the holidays time, and I ran into the office administrator, who was a friend of mine from the lab. And somewhere in the paper towel aisle, she told me about something that she was starting at lunchtime at the lab, at work. And she invited me to come. 
And she said, if I was interested, the things that they do, they pray together, they'd read something and they talk about it and they'd eat lunch. And if you've ever met my friend, Mary Ann, you would know, and she would say this, uh, she's not one of the most outgoing or extroverted people. She's quite the opposite. So I joined this group, this motley crew of all people who were curious about Jesus, some who had been attending church, others not, from all walks of life, from the professor and the student to the mechanic. And that lunchtime group became my church. It's what we call a fresh expression of church. And, and I wanna point out here that Marianne was not a pastor. She'd never been to seminary or to Bible college. She was just obedient to what God had put on her heart to start a form of church in a place in a way that was different for, for people that otherwise wouldn't join her on a Sunday morning. And she identified a need and she met people there. The cool thing is because she took that risk and she initiated this holy experiment, I am where I am today as a pastor, as a church planter, and as, as a follower of Jesus. And, and that story is not the only case that, that here in our work with Fresh Expressions US, we're all, by the way, we're all like pastors and normal people and doing all kinds of crazy stuff around the United States. But we're seeing these fresh expressions of church bubbling up around the, the, the country here in the States and also in the world. We're seeing them bubble up from the margins, the place where the Church of Jesus, ironically, has always been the strongest. And so a fresh expression of church is the words that we use to define. That's basically a form of church for our changing culture where we're taking the church Jesus loves closer to the people that Jesus loves. But in order to, to kind of comprehend this, what this could look like, what this could mean, especially in our, our time and place, we need to take a holy shift. Let me just say that. I know Greg probably is laughing right now, but, but it's a holy shift from church in here to church out there. What we usually think of as a worship service in a building dedicated to that purpose, to church out there, that might look a lot different. So let me litter your brain for just a minute here. Things like yoga church, church in a Mexican restaurant, one called Burritos and Bibles, a tattoo parlor church, a church among neighbors who get together once a week, even a church in a dog park. Do you believe there is a church in a dog park? And, and they're kind of like liturgical, right? They do this thing called the passing of the peace where humans shake hands or say hello in a greeting. Well, they do also something for the dogs. They do the sniffing of the butts. And of course they have to designate the humans do one thing, the dogs do the other thing. But, but these are all forms of church that are led by normal people just like you. People who work day jobs, stay home with the kids, have life and your own stuff to figure out. A good friend of mine has a passion for CrossFit. He's a kind of gym rat. Maybe you're one of those who just like enjoys lifting weights and all that. Well, he started a CrossFit church at his gym. They meet together. It's not a worship service as many of us think of. Instead, a workout is a part of their gathering. And they also have initiated a part of serving others, collecting things for a, a local shelter, even food items for the food pantry. Uh, and even through the pandemic, they've been gathering outside and also on Zoom. 
we, we have to just shift our mindset to the possibilities. What could it be? What could it look like? A, a shift for those of us in, in church life from seeding capacity to sending capacity, where we're measuring the number of people that we're sending out. It, not consumers, right? Not, not that we're just consuming church and materials and great messages and, and, and all that, but that we're deploying the people of God to do the work of God. We're sending people. We're excited when we hear those stories. So, and think for think for a minute. It's it's thinking of yourself differently. It's training and deploying missionaries. Thinking of yourself as a missionary who is cleverly disguised as a student or a nurse or a teacher or a manager. It's it's thinking of yourself differently. And and this is all relational based, relationship based. It's all relational. So imagine, imagine what could a Jesus community look like for spiritually curious people in your context, in a different place than you might think of that church could be. Could that be you? Could God be calling you in this unique place and time in history to be a part of the radical shift and reformation of church that's taking shape? And let me just clarify this. This is not a means of getting people to attend church or to listen to church online or even as outreach, but it's rather fully forming church where you are. I remember a conversation I was having with a pastor about this idea. I was in a coffee shop with him and we were talking about this hiking church that I started called Happy Trails. And it was basically for people, for those of us who find God outside and experience God in the outdoors. We go on hikes together, even kayaking, all sorts of those types of things. And there was a guy that was sitting behind him and he had apparently been eavesdropping, which was fine in this case, because he leaned over and said, hey, I'm not religious or a church person, but I would be part of something like that. See, the good news is that God's always at work ahead of us. Contrary to some old school evangelistic techniques, we don't bring Jesus to anyone. He's already there. He's working in people's lives and hearts. You know that from your story. We just get to join him and be a part of it. So you might be asking, though, well, where do I start? How would I begin to start something like this? Well, the most important thing is to remember that we need to start with listening. Start with listening. That we talk about in with Fresh Expressions US and some of our trainings that there's like a three-part listening going on here. It's first listening to God, listening in your prayer time through scripture. It's also listening to your context, not just taking somebody else's great idea and boom, doing it, but listening, what are the, the things going on in your context? And also the third part is how you're wired. Who are you uniquely wired to connect with? So often when we talk about evangelism, we take this posture of kind of a, a downward approach that we're, we're up here and we're, we're colonizing others, dare I say. And that's just not right. And not only that is it's a total turnoff to people. Instead, it's important for us to take the posture of a student, not a teacher, a posture of humility to humble ourselves. As Apostle Paul reminds us, it's taking time to, to pray for and with our communities. Maybe you might try something like prayer walking. Super easy to do. 
You might pick a location, whether you live in a neighborhood or even like a, a shopping center location and just go for a walk, walk by yourself. Maybe you invite a friend or a spouse, bring your dog with you if you have one and just begin to walk and observe, observe, pray, pray for the people you pass, pray for the cars that pass you, pray for the people living in houses, asking God to show you who lives there. What's something in the lives of those people that, that, that breaks your heart? What do you observe in their driveways and in their yards? What needs do you see? Maybe your eyes are open to a place that you've driven by multiple times before. And also you can begin to ask people questions. Ask them, what would you change in this community? What do you love about this community? And that's where it's important to start with a need, a network, or a neighborhood as your focus. So there's this story of uh, a gal named Amani who moved back to her hometown of Hickory, excuse me, North Carolina after college. And she got her degree. Her grandparents apparently left her a house in the city. And she knew the area. She knew her contacts. She knew that there were high rates of preventable disease in that area. And so what she did was after she's been listening in conversation with people, she started a community wellness house. She planted a garden. She held gardening work days and invited people to it and, and also held events in that house. One titled as a black man, another as a black woman for people to share experiences and their discussions and, and it enabled her to build relationships. A church I served at previously, uh, I was in the process of discerning needs and doing lots of listening. And one way I did that was to go to our local elementary school, meet with the principal and the guidance counselor. And I just simply asked, like, what are the needs of the families here? Uh, tell me about the school. Tell me about the, the kids. Tell me about parents. Tell me about grandparents. Tell me about just everything here. And they revealed in that conversation that they, they knew that there was a lack of family time. Families just never were together, especially they didn't eat together. So it was cool because together we decided to create this thing called family dinner. It's a kind of dinner church. We invited everybody, anybody to come and join us for dinner from 6 to 6.30, families, kids, just everybody. It's totally free. And it was followed by, by a, a, a program at 6.30 to 7. And people could opt in or opt out of that, and nobody was forced to do it. In that program, we shared a, a Bible story and a craft and a discussion. And it was really neat because people started showing up to this. And over the course of a couple months that we held this once a month, the guidance counselor approached me with a story about a gentleman that she knew had kind of been problematic in parent-teacher meetings before. She didn't see him interact well with his children. And he had been attending the dinner. She'd watched him begin to interact and do this, do crafts with the kids and everything. And they had recently had a parent-teacher conference. And that parent-teacher conference went so well, she said. She said, it was just like amazing. Like, so who knows, right? Who knows what the impact could be? There's a gentleman named Francisco uh, Garcia Velasquez. He's in California and he found uh, personally hardcore punk rock to really be something that connected with him. He found a sense of healing in it, its rawness. 
And because of that, that was how he was wired. He started attending shows and events with people who shared his love for that music. And they formed relationships. He got to know them. And it basically led to this joining of forces to create a venue, a place for faith and music to intersect. Who knew, right? Uh, there's a fresh expression of church in Florida who gathers movie lovers together once a month to attend a movie. And then they have an option afterwards to go out together to meet, to discuss uh, the movie and about how it speaks to their lives and elements of faith. It's, it, it's this necessary part of, of ministry that means we have to shift from safety to experimentation. A spirit of experimentation is an amazing place to approach our mission. It's always easier to do nothing. It's always easier to do what you know and what you've done in the past. But as Greg says, we're seeing everywhere that the attractional model of church to just invite your friend to church to hear the pastor preach the gospel, that's less and less effective. We have to give people permission to fail. You have permission to fail. You might try something. You might begin gathering with people and it might not work, but that means that we tried something, right? It means that we're involved with this great big missional experiment because you know what? It could work. So maybe, maybe the Holy Spirit's stirring something inside you. Maybe it's your breakfast or some bad coffee, of course, but, but maybe it's, there's something else that's stirring. So let me ask you this. Have you ever thought that you might be right here right now because you're here for such a time as this. It's time to dream again, folks. It's time to dream again because our God is a creative God who is in the process of forming and reforming church. And the amazing thing is we get to be a part of it. Well, thanks so much, everybody. It's been a joy to be with you today. And so I'm gonna hand it back to Greg. Amen. I told you she was great. I told you she was great. She's such a gift. Holy shift. Uh, <laughs> holy shift. That's what we need. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It should have been the title maybe. But really, I just want to leave us with this. I, I, we did paradigm shift, a holy shift from thinking of church only as someplace where we come. God uses that together. That's great. But primarily church is what happens when we go out. Uh, and we are being the church. I want to encourage us, you know, it will be unique to you. You may be looking at some of the things that these folks do, and you're like, oh, I could never do that. Um, well, first of all, I'd like to encourage all of us to not box God in at the start. Often we think, like, we come to a conclusion, I could never do that. I could well, you know what? Why don't you listen first? Uh, and be open to where the Spirit might lead you. This is the time and the season where, where I think God's moving all of us outside of our comfort zones. And so don't, 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 bring, don't conclude too quickly that you can't do something. Be open to the Holy Spirit. Now, he always works with, with uh, how we're wired and, 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 and all that. So it'll be natural to you, but, but, but don't foreclose possibilities. Uh, always be listening. Walk with your eyes open. Uh, and the most important step is that first step. Just start walking this direction. Maybe, maybe it's with uh, praying around your block. Uh, but be looking for the need or the network or the neighborhood. Where is God calling you to be? Um, and what we are, leadership of World of Hills of the Church is all about is resourcing that 
and encouraging that. And I also encourage us, you know, we have this bulletin. I encourage, if, if this is your church, sign up for that bulletin because we're going to be telling stories there. We already are. And some of the stories are really beautiful about how people are, are, are being, bringing the kingdom to their context. And Podrishners, which is the vast majority of our congregation, is a podcregation. Uh, the beautiful thing about this is that, you know, the spirit will contextualize it for where you're at. I mean, what it looks like to be building the kingdom in China won't be exactly what it looks like to be building the kingdom in America. And what it looks like to be building the kingdom in your neighborhood will look different from maybe in a different neighborhood. But the Spirit always particularizes it. So let's start really, really leaning in. And what, what, how is the Spirit calling us? And don't just think individuals. It might be that you and your network of, uh, you have a little community of Christians, you together discern this and you're together to go out and, and, and do a ministry. Be open to all the possibilities here. I, I want to just end with this, uh, this word. I, I have been, and I've shared this before, but um, uh, the last year and a half has been the, the hardest, by far the hardest year for Shelly and I on a number of different levels. I don't even want to go into all that, but it's been really difficult, really challenging. But I, what, what, what God's been doing at Woodland Hills has been like the biggest positive in my life. And I just love you guys for it. Thanks for being a pot. And I just feel, Amen. I feel, I sense there's so much potential here that just, if we just unleash this, each of us doing our part, there's potential for the podgregation of Woodland Hills, the congregation of Woodland Hills to make a difference in this world is enormous. Just release, just step into it. We are the body of Christ, the hands and feet of Christ. Let's be connected to the head, listening to that central nervous system who is the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, uh, if you're here... Um, uh, what was the order I'm supposed to say this in? I always get this mixed up. Oh, first of all, on uh, Tuesdays, we've got the MuseCast. You can go a little deeper with the message. Dan does a great job of kind of just, you know, unpacking things. I encourage you to uh, check out with that if you're interested and can. Uh, we also have these gathering groups that Rob talked about uh, in his crystal ball. And uh, despite the crystal ball, I encourage you to check that out. I get to know other people here. And, and, and some of them will be local and a lot of them will be not local, but, but get together and discuss things. Uh, if you have any need that could use prayer this morning, uh, I encourage you to, uh, if, you're in, if you're part of the congregation, we've got prayer of, uh, ministers who will be up here at the front of the auditorium. And if you're part of the pod congregation, uh, you can just get on a, a, a prayer team uh, on the app or the website. And finally, uh, if you're going to be here next week, and you have children that you would want to have in Heroes Gate, you need to let us know ahead of time so we can do as much as possible to prepare uh, for the number of kids that will be coming in. And as Rob shared during our announcements, I encourage folks, uh, whether you're part of the pod congregation or congregation, uh, to consider uh, once a month coming in and, and, and helping the uh, Heroes Gate uh, to minister to our kids. As we go out of this place, First of all, I encourage you to greet one another by waving. I, you know, I go to my grandkids' games now, and they no longer give high fives. They, they just sit on the other side of the field and wave to each other. So, so make sure you wave to one another on the way out. But as we leave here, I, I, I commission you to go out as, as, as good soldiers who are always having their walkie-talkies on, listening to the Spirit, walking with your eyes open, and being willing to join what God is already up to in whatever context he, he, he's leading you to be involved in. Go forth in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. God bless you guys. Love you.